0: Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to those who are joining us online today as well. Today is the third week of our The View From Here series on how the Lutheran lens helps us see the Word of God and what Jesus shows us about living life in the kingdom. And in the past two weeks, Pastor Darren has talked about what seeing the Word through the Lutheran lens of both law and gospel does, how those lenses help us both to confess to the Lord and to receive from the Lord in relationship with Him. And then about the theology of the cross, showing how Jesus is at work in our lives in both the joyful times and in the painful ones. And this week, my focus is on the Lutheran theological lens that isn't talked about as much, probably because it's a little bit harder to nail down, but it's actually a very important one as we seek to grow as Jesus' kingdom people in our own lives. And it's the Lutheran theology of vocation. Now, before you get too excited, I didn't say vacation, sorry. (laughs) That's a whole different sermon. (laughs) A vacation is when you take a break from your life as usual, and sometimes that is what you need. And we actually do have a theology around that called Sabbath. Intentional, regular times set apart are necessary for you to be healthy in your life of faith. So vacating actually has an important role in your spiritual health. But vocation, what we're talking about today, is about what you're fully engaged in, in your daily life. And the dictionary definitions of vocation range from one, a particular occupation, just another way to talk about your job, to two, a calling or summons to a particular activity. There's a little more mystery to this definition. It could be something other than a job. But you also wonder who is summoning you to this. Definition three gets a little more concrete. A divine call to God's service or the Christian life. Think pastor, missionary, monastic calling here. And then finally, definition four. A function or station to which one is called by God. That last definition is really what we're focusing in on today. And you might wonder, why is there even a Lutheran theology of vocation? Well, it's because before the Reformation, the prevailing culture only had one definition for vocation, and it was number three. The only people who were thought to have a vocation, a holy calling in life, were those who were called to serve the church. Everyone else's work was just work. Temporary, worldly maintenance, somebody had to do it but only what tied into the eternal was actually considered a vocation from God. And I think that was partly why Luther left behind his plan to be a lawyer, to become a monk instead, because he wanted his life to mean something. He wanted to tap into something bigger. And at the beginning of his journey, he thought that could only mean serving in the church. And it wasn't until Luther got excommunicated from the Catholic Church over his refusal to take back his teachings about how salvation is ours in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, and he was kicked out of the official vocation roles of monk and priest, that he stumbled into a whole different understanding of what a holy vocation is. And for him, what opened his eyes was the messiness of family. In a somewhat comic turn of events, Luther, the ex-priest, ex-monk, found himself the subject of a rather insistent proposal from an ex-nun named Catherine Van Bora. And before he knew it, he was almost baffled to realize he'd become a husband and a father of six, adopting four more. (laughs) So Luther went from living an intense, harshly disciplined life of self-regulation, study, contemplation, seeking the holy and truth and purity, to living at the center of a busy, hectic household as the husband to a capable, intelligent wife, father to ten children, and a manager, along with Katie, of an army of household and farm help, as well as continuing to be the lead voice of the Reformation of the church. <laughs> so for a time, the first time in his life, Luther's eyes were open to the daily dying to self that it takes to navigate the needs of a family, to work to provide for the sake of others, of the labor of love it is to daily create a trustworthy world for the sake of another. And although the austerity of his life as a monk had been challenging in other ways, suddenly Luther saw holiness in all kinds of places he hadn't looked for it before he started to see vocations becoming vessels for the holy in the everyday ways that people bless each other. In a cup of coffee shared and helping to bring in the crop of a sick neighbor, Luther saw the love of Jesus, whose parables of the kingdom are about farmers and fishermen and builders and laborers. Jesus was breaking open in him an understanding of what it meant to be part of this kingdom. And Luther was given a new lens for seeing the ways Jesus calls us not out of, but into daily life with his grace. In John 17, there's a beautiful prayer that Jesus prays for his disciples, for us. Here are some things that he prays in John 17. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. See, Jesus is not praying that we be taken out of the world, but that we, sent into it, will live lives of kingdom impact that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them. Did you catch that? The witness, the draw, is in seeing in them a life that's defined by being loved, by belonging to something bigger, May they be in us, Jesus prays, so that the world may believe that you have sent me and have loved them. It was something about how the disciples live that speaks to who Jesus is. Not in them saying all the right words or winning all the arguments or performing the right works, but in being in him, the world may believe. It's an incarnational strategy. It's an infiltration of kingdom people. Now, sometimes people ask me, why doesn't God just pluck us out of the world into heaven when we're saved by Jesus? This is Jesus' answer to that question. Because it's the world he wants to redeem, to love, and to bless through us. Jesus, the Son of God, came into the world to live with us, to die for us, to rise for us, so we could know there is more to come. Because our Savior, who is eternal, chose to meet us where we are, to make us part of an eternal family, even now. That was his incarnational strategy, to reveal his redeeming love among us. And now Jesus passes that mission on to us. We have a holy calling to be kingdom people where we are. And that only works when those of us who are his are his among them where they are. Jesus' strategic plan is not for us to separate ourselves from the world. That's his job at the end of the time. We are right now called to be salt and light. A city on a hill, not under a bushel or hidden behind closed doors. And Luther knew this in the work that he did in the church, in his vocation of teaching and preaching Jesus. That was clear to him. But as he was kicked out into the world, he started to see that Jesus was actually at work out there too in many different kinds of callings. And he first saw that in his wife, Katie. The way that he wrote about her showed his deep love and respect for her abilities, her intelligence, her partnership in the gospel. He saw in her work, in her devotion to family and home, a calling as holy as the one that she had served as a nun. This calling of raising a family in faith. But since it's always easiest to talk about what we ourselves experience, when Luther wrote of his revelation that maybe vocation could be found in something other than monastic life, he wrote about his role as husband and father. Luther writes to fathers, "'How is it possible that you are not called? "'Yea, if you had five heads and ten hands, even then you would be too weak for your task.'" (laughs) so that you could never dare to think of making a pilgrimage or doing any kind of saintly work. You hear that, dads? He is saying this is a holy calling that you absolutely need God's help to do. In this season of life, this is your saintly work, your holy vocation, both on your good days and on the days you are very clear that you need God's grace in every moment. See, the reason I believe we have those other three definitions of vocation today is because of what Jesus showed Luther in the Reformation of the church. Because Jesus wanted the world to see we are a people sent into the world, that our daily callings are holy callings. But it's been 500 years since the Reformation, and I still don't think we get it. In his book, The Life You've Always Wanted, John Ortberg pointed out how often we think our spiritual life only grows or can be expressed through worship, scripture, reading, and prayer. He told of a young mother in their small group who confessed with tears it was so much easier for her to grow spiritually before she became a mom because she wasn't able to carve out quiet times like she used to. And Ortberg wrote, In this, the church had failed her. He writes, She'd never been taught to see that caring for two young children daily with prayers for help and patience, acceptance of trials might become a kind of school for transformation into powerful servanthood beyond anything she had known. Somehow having a quiet time counted towards spiritual devotion while caring for two children did not. <laughs> but as a mother, she had new opportunities for growth she didn't have back then. Whatever our season of life, it offers its own opportunities and challenges for spiritual growth. Instead of wishing we were in another season, we ought to find out what this one offers. Life counts, all of it. Every moment is a chance to learn from Jesus how to live in the kingdom of God. End quote. See, in every new season of life, our holy vocations will change. Our opportunities for spiritual growth change. The people our lives impact change. And in the series after Christmas, we're planning to take the month of January and unpack more about this, what kingdom growth can look like in different stages of life. Because as you might imagine, there's more to say about this than one sermon on vocation. (laughs) And our fifth value, be the church in the world, is one aspect of this Lutheran theology of vocation. How are we called to grow as Jesus' disciples where he has us planted right now? And Luther wrote about this because his eyes were open to what Paul meant in Colossians 3. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. For it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Luther's understanding of what makes a vocation holy isn't what it is, but how you do it and why. And honestly, this isn't new. (laughs) When John the Baptist was preparing the way for Jesus in Luke 3, he called people to display in their lives the fruit of repentance, and they asked, how? What does that even look like in my life? And John answered vocationally. He said, soldiers, don't abuse your power. Tax collectors, don't collect more than you're supposed to. Be fair with people. Whatever your vocation, let your every action represent the Lord. That is holy. The Lord will use you in it. Now, some people might have expected him to say, Stop being tax collectors or soldiers. He doesn't. He says, What you are asked to do, do it in a way that honors whose you are. That is your witness. And one of my favorite explanations of this comes from a book written by one of my seminary professors, Pat Kiefert, called Welcoming the Stranger, and I'd like to read you a little excerpt from it. Uh, This is about a person that he encountered who was a small-town grain elevator operator in Iowa, an accountant for that grain elevator, and how he responded to this understanding. We imagine that ushering at church pleases God, but assume that repairing streets or trading stocks is of little or no importance to God. But I remember how this neglect of God's creating action affected an accountant for a small-town grade elevator in Iowa. At a church retreat, he was asked to describe what he was doing at 10 a.m. on Sunday and 9 a.m. on Tuesday, and also to report what he thought God was doing at those same times. He was readily able to explain what he was doing at both times. He could also imagine what God was doing on Sunday morning. But he could not imagine what God was doing when he was trying to balance the firm's books on Tuesday morning. I suggested to him that on Tuesday, God was urging him to be honest and supporting his skills and knowledge of the business of accounting. God was creating a trustworthy world. God was, along with this steward, making it possible for people to trust their grain elevator dealer. God and this steward were keeping the expenses of the middle persons down so that bread would be less expensive. By creating a public system of trust, Through holding people accountable, this accountant freed the farmer and the middle person to risk smaller profit margins and allowed the consumers, such as welfare mothers and their children, on the south side of Chicago to purchase bread relatively cheaply. In effect, Dennis was feeding children on the south side of Chicago through his impersonal public office as an accountant. Theologically and theocentrically put, God is not always redeeming and sanctifying in every time and place. But God is always creating. When we create in accordance with God's will, we too are engaged with what God does most often. When I suggested this, Dennis's eyes opened very wide. Later he told me it was the first time he'd ever heard that what he did as an accountant was an important part of God's activity. Even such an impersonal public work as accounting can be done according to God's will. And in such work, God is powerfully pleased. Whatever your hands find to do, do it unto the Lord. We've come to see this now like never before, haven't we? Whenever you watch the news, we see how interconnected we are, how essential we are to the well-being of our society is every dock worker, every shipping agent, every truck driver, every shelf stalker, every research worker and product developer, how you showing up to serve faithfully in your largely unseen vocation is essential work for the blessing of the world. And even though we've had that lens for a long time, this theology of God's work through us making our vocations holy, I think now we're only just beginning to see One year at the start of the school year, my first church that I served in Princeton, Minnesota, decided to surprise the school teachers of our congregation by leaving flowers in their boxes at work. And they were honestly confused. Why is my church giving me a flower for doing my day job? (laughs) Because what you do every day is important for the world. And that you do it as a follower of Jesus shapes how you interact with the kids. And that shapes who they become. So thank you. We're serving Jesus by blessing the world in your holy vocation. But then someone asked, well, what about the doctors and the nurses and the mechanics and the plumbers and the factory owners? What about the people who opened and managed the senior apartment building to meet that need in our community and the local businesses and the caregivers at the care center? And they were absolutely right. Because looking at those people in my congregation, I could see the ways every one of them were serving with integrity and a desire to bless the world through what they do, because in doing so, they were serving the Lord. Every one a vocation of the holy. So if all these theologies are Lutheran lenses, I think the theology of vocation is like heat signature night goggles. Because they help us see the kingdom spark in each disciple as we live into Jesus' prayer that we may be in him that the world may believe. Where you experience the kingdom impact of Christ followers building a trustworthy world, not just in the church, but in the cubicle next to yours in the office, or at the truck stop, or in the break room, or in the mops group, or on the playground, or in your econ class, being salt and light. And what I'm talking about here is different than evangelism. It certainly can include intentional evangelism, but there's more of that in the Lutheran theology, the priesthood of all believers. You'll hear about that next week. But I see this as the step before evangelism. It's what your life speaks to the world before you speak. What the Lutheran theology of vocation communicates is that God cares deeply about your everyday hard and hidden choices that you make that shape you and that bless others that he sees the steady, trustworthy, unseen acts, and he receives them as acts of worship and service to himself. As you bless the world by what you do and what you choose not to do, he uses you to grow seeds of blessing that will bring fruit that you may never know about in the lives of others. Through daily seeking to be in him, in your holy vocation, you preach the faithfulness of God in word and action in ways He uses to bless the world. You are His love lived in practical ways. And maybe for you, this is a no-brainer because the thing you do that meets the world's needs is easy for you to claim as your holy vocation. But for most people, their vocation—what most occupies their time, attention, energy—to meets the world's needs, whether it's for a paycheck or not, may not be your heart's greatest joy. And if that's the case, even more so for you, to do it to the best of your ability is your holy service to God. And it's most likely where you're going to find the deepest challenge to your daily spiritual growth as a disciple of Jesus. I have a friend who homeschools four kids. She once was the kingdom expansion pastor of a megachurch. Her job was to raise up, inspire, equip, and deploy teams of people to build up and begin new church plants. She's brilliant and strategic and charismatic, and although that work was very challenging, for one of her giftings, it was relatively easy. In her new vocational season, the same friend of mine has called me several times distraught and completely undone by her two-and-a-half-year-old. She has a master's degree. She has successfully launched two satellite churches and multiple ministries. And yet to get this toddler to do something as simple as eating a meal without raining chaos has completely exhausted every trick she's ever learned. <laughs> she has led hundreds in the work of making disciples. But the work of being a disciple of Jesus in this moment, the work of making disciples in her kitchen, this is the hardest discipleship challenge she has ever known. It's where she falls hard on the grace of Jesus. This is holy vocation. Because in all the world, only she is called to be mother to these kids. And day by day, she's leaning hard on the grace of Jesus in it. And trusting that he is at work in her to bless. What is the holy vocation to which the Lord is calling you in this season of your life? Where is he calling you into the world, choosing to be in him and he and you, that the world may believe that he loves them? What is he offering you in your current discipleship challenge of what it looks like for you to follow Jesus here with these people in this arena in order to bless? This is our calling as Jesus' people because in Christ Jesus, this is what God first did for us. He entered into our world choosing to live into a hard labor of love for us that cost him everything to freely give us a place with him eternally. His love found us where we are, and he's not finished with us yet. And we can trust the same Lord who entered into this world to save us, to save you and me for eternity, not by our work, but by his, is also at work in our daily lives that others too may know his love. And it's true that only what ties into the eternal is a holy vocation. But here's the thing. Every human being you encounter in life matters eternally to God. So as in Luther's words, how can you not be called? In whatever you're being called to be about in this season of your life, you are his kingdom's spark to be the church in the world. Because no matter where you are in the world, Jesus will always be faithful to who he is in you. So live as whose you are, where you are, for the one who has called you is faithful, and he will do this in you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for being with us. We know how often we fail to reflect who you are in our lives, and so we thank you for your willingness to forgive us and renew us over and over again. And even in our failures, Lord, to shine uh, your strength even through us and our reliance on you, Lord, we pray that today you would help us to see our holy vocation, the kingdom assignment that you are working through us. Help us to cooperate with you wherever we are, that we may be in you so that the world may know that you love them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.